This is the intro song for my asshole brain. <laughs> this episode is a little different because Stephanie is not going to be talking in the first part of it because we are going to be discussing family and siblings. And so right now I have my two stepsisters to join us to talk about our experience with having divorced parents and blended families and different sibling dynamics. And Stephanie's situation is different because she's got two parents who are still married to each other which is fascinating for most of us, and she also grew up an only child. So her perspective is, is going to be discussed uh, in the second part of this episode, whereas the first part is going to be a conversation between me and Lisa and Lindsay. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we will kind of throw out some information about the impact of Doris and siblings and stuff like that, and then get into our conversation. So you guys can introduce yourselves if you would like. Sure. Hey, I'm Lindsay. I'm a Pisces. 38 years young. Um, we're in Ohio. We were born and raised. We're back visiting. It's great to be here. Um, yeah. I love my sisters. And turn-ons, turn-offs. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> everything turns me on. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm the middle child. I'm Lindsay's older sister and Amanda's younger sister. Um, glad to be here and really glad that we didn't all kill one another as teenagers. Yes. Here, here. And how old are you, Lisa? I'm 40. Okay. I mean, I know how old you are because I just celebrated your 40th <laughs> birthday with you. <laughs> but people listening might not know. So I'm 44, so we are four and then six years apart, mm -hmm. and um, or they're two years apart. And we met, I think, when I was 15. Yes. So let me just roll out. Let me get the the, the science stuff out of the way. Let me, yeah. Let me get the the general science stuff out of the way because I always try to bring in what the science says, and then we can lay out for everybody what our situation is, like how old you guys were when your parents divorced, sure. and you guys moved also out of state mm -hmm. when some at some point it was elementary school, was it that you yes. guys moved? Okay. So um, we'll also cover that in the dynamics and the point at which we came into each other's lives and how things have happened um, since then. And so in trying to find statistics on divorce, I think everyone knows it's common knowledge. So I didn't really feel like I had to find research to back it up. Divorce is difficult on people. It's very stressful, especially on children because they're being thrust into a position that they didn't choose. And a lot of times it can result in them almost losing a parent if they don't get to see them as often or at all in the list of things that are the most stressful experiences people have the top 10 of course divorce is on there other things include changing jobs death of a loved one moving moving mm -hmm. right moving and the thing is divorce often encom encompasses all those things as well you often have to get a new job you might have to move and the loss of a loved one perhaps they haven't died but you may not get to see them at all as I said before so it's incredibly difficult and I remember growing up in the 80s when it first started becoming a thing and, and getting a lot more notice, there was a lot of concern from people talking about dysfunctional families, fractured families, single parent families, as well as the rise in latchkey kids as a result of this because you had, part of that was because people had to get, start working, both parents had to work in order to support the family. It wasn't as easy even at that time to have one parent stay home. But a lot of it was also because 
people were getting divorced and so you couldn't have a mom who stayed home with the kids because now she was a single mom and had the kids the majority of the time and even with things like child support or alimony it wasn't enough to pay the bills. So there was a lot of discussion and a lot of fear about the impact that was going to have on people. And for a long time there was this stigma in divorced children that we were all basically broken and that it was going to be difficult for us to be healthy, to not be depressed, to have healthy relationships. And there was a long-term study called the Second Chances Study. And what it did was it looked at the impact that divorce has on children. And it wasn't a very positive study. It did Well, it didn't give us good news at first because it looked like a little over half don't do well. So roughly 45% of kids do well after divorce, but only under certain circumstances. So when the, kid, when the parents both play regular roles in the kids' lives, um, when they are uh, civil to each other and they get along, then it can be good. But a lot of times, at least in this study, they found that, for instance, a lot of kids usually ended up with the mom because that was kind of the default at the time. Still sort of is now, but not quite as common you would end up having that parent kind of depend on the kid in a way they didn't before and that put a lot of pressure on the kid to be able to support their parent emotionally as well. So there were a lot of grim things that came about of this from this that made everybody really concerned. But what's been found is that it may be really hard in the beginning, but at the end of it, once time goes on, people do recover. They do get better. So yes, it can be hard in the immediate after effects, but that over time, because kids are resilient, if their parents handle it well, people can still grow up and be healthy and happy even if they come from a divorced home. So this fear that it was going to fracture an entire generation is unfounded, but there are still some concerns based on how people handle it. Divorce still is on the rise. When I tried to find statistics of the number of blended families, it was really hard because there's not Every site I looked at had different numbers, but this, the numbers I found on one site said about 50% of families are remarried or recoupled, 50% of children under 13 are living in a, with a, a step-parent, and that if you have a situation where both partners come with kids from previous marriages, that their chances of success are not great. So. Blending families is especially stressful, and that can create a lot of problems moving forward as well. So, what I want to start off with talking is letting you guys tell your story about when your parents split and kind of the impact that that had on you guys, because my situation, I think, was very different than yours. So, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys talk about yours first. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is Lisa. Um, our parents split up when I was five and Lindsay was three. We were still living uh, in the Dayton area. Uh, my mom had primary custody of us, so we lived with her in Kettering and we saw our dad, I believe it was every Thursday night and then every other weekend. And then we would you know, periodically see him more and then we had a big chunk um, in the summertime. As far as how it changed things, you know, we were so young that it's kind of hard to say what our trajectory in life would right. have been otherwise, mm -hmm. but it absolutely has, I can speak for myself, it's affected, you know, how I think about my relationships. Um, I do remember, you know, as a kid feeling 
lonelier and like I had less of a support network than the friends around me. I didn't feel that as much when we were immediately out from the divorce, but our mom remarried when I was nine and Lynn's was seven. Um, and very shortly after that, we moved with our mom and stepfather to Connecticut. And the town that we moved to, it was, you know, nuclear families, 2.5 kids, the dog named Spot. I mean, it was the stereotypical little American town. And so you didn't have many friends who had divorced parents. You guys were kind of the very oddballs. few. Okay. Very few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I would say that in hindsight, you know, looking back as a, with through adult eyes, I think it worked out for the best because I think that what I've seen with relationships and you know, I'm not married, I've never been married, but my friends and fa- and my sisters and family, mm-hmm. you know, family members that have gone through marriages and then gotten a divorce, I feel like there's a reason for it. And this idea of sort of sticking it through for a reason, you know, I'm glad, I'm grateful that our parents didn't because, you know, oh, we have kids, we want them to have two parents. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, Mm -hmm. it made it, while it kind of changed, like Lisa said, our trajectory, it, I think was best in the long run and again far be it for me to say I have not been married so I don't know right but well, are you reluctant to marry as a result I would, yeah. of seeing so many because I would say that's fair because Lisa's divorced yeah I'm divorced right my parents best, divorced my par- I've had best friends that are divorced and I say divorced because I think it sounds <laughs> it's classier fancier. like yeah Target. Target. <laughs> <laughs> so pass it around so opposite from you you said that you were reluctant potentially to get married. I was actually so eager for it. I think that I wanted that stability mm. and I I so desperately thought that, you know, I, I can get this right. I, I, you know, have watched both my parents go through this and, you know, seen them have, uh, you know, second marriages and I, I felt as if, you know, I know what I'm doing and, you know, mm. of course I didn't. But Learn from their mistakes. Right, right. but I, I'm, I really was so eager to get married and now I kind of look back and laugh. How old were you when you married? I was 28 when I married, but I had been together, I had been dating that guy since I was about 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the point that I had gotten married, I'd been with him for more than half of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to talk about this, Lindsay, but you've yeah. not really had a lot of long-term No, I've had relationships. very few long-term. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is by choice. I think part of it, too, was location and where I was and... The friend group I've been in, mm-hmm. it just it was sort of that idea of like transient relationships was okay. Mm-hmm. We, but they have all settled, which is kind of interesting. I still have a couple. So when you say settled, do you mean they've settled down? Or is that actually a bit of a Freudian slip there? That Fair, they've actually yeah. settled, so they've, they've just decided it's time for me to marry. Yeah. So I'm just going to take this person even if they're not the best choice. I, you know, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> Half a six of one, half a dozen of the other. Okay. Does a bear poop in the woods? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Half the time. Right. 60% of the time. It works every time. time, Exactly. So, you know, as I get older too, I think the interesting thing is that group, you know, my age group is also potentially divorcing. So my whoever I end up being with could have already been in a relationship, could have gone through a divorce. 
and I'll not have had that experience. How do you feel about becoming a step parent? Because one of the statistics that I found was really interesting when it was talking about like the the success of blended families. Mm -hmm. As I already mentioned, it's like a 70% divorce rate among uh, remarried couples when both of them bring kids into the family, which is the situation I have now with Steve. Um, but as he pointed out, we're special, but yeah. part of it is also we have older kids, so that changes the dynamic of it. But um, when they went back and talked to women in particular who had been married to, married someone who had a child from a previous marriage, the majority of them said they would not have married a man with a child, which I think is really interesting. And yeah. I know Steve, as a single parent, did not have a lot of success dating, and he wondered if part of that was because women aren't real keen on hooking up with somebody who not only has kids from a previous marriage, but also has sole, sole custody mm-hmm. of them so that they have to not only be with him, they got to be with the kids too. But it seems like men aren't as reluctant to enter that mm-hmm. situation as women are, which is interesting to me. I would actually be very open to dating and eventually marrying someone who already had children. You know, I'm not all that interested in having biological children myself and you know, mm-hmm. having gone through divorce. Being a kid was tough. I don't, I, I don't mean to be dramatic about it, but like I don't feel like childhood was the fun, idyllic experience that some of my friends went through. And so I don't know that I want to bring another kid into the world. On the other hand, you know, having seen what our step parents and our parents went through and how our families blended it, obviously I've learned my lesson about thinking that I can do it better or that you know right. I, I know what I'm doing. But I like the idea of, frankly, someone who's already a parent that mm-hmm. tells me that they already are you know, responsible enough mm-hmm. to, to have a child and they've kept the child alive right. that long, that, that, that's, that's a good sign to and me. And that they're still involved. I would be disturbed if I met a man who had a child already and wasn't a big part of that kid's life. Mm-hmm. I would be, I would want to know why. And I would think that that was, I don't know that that would speak well to his character if he let himself if he either chose or allowed himself to be forced out of his children's lives. Right. I mean, I've heard of situations, too, where women will mm-hmm. make terrible claims against their exes and force them out through no fault of the father's own. You know, it's not their choice. In, in. But no one wants to be with someone if it seems like they can say goodbye that easily. Of course, and especially to your own child. Right. If you can be like, well, pff, mom's got him, I'm okay. And, and I would say the same thing for mothers, too, you know. Um, in any situation where a parent has just it seems to be okay with not being a part of their kid's life would be a real concern for me. I would say for me, I think part of the hesitation is, and I'm gonna like put it in quotes because it's life, but the drama that would come with the mother, the child, and the dynamic in the relationship, and the sort of there would not be a clean and sort of easy way to separate lives. Yeah. And I think that for me, as you both know, I don't like confrontation. I think as I've gotten older, it's gotten easier mm-hmm. to just, this is this is how I feel, this is what I want, I'll stick up for myself. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's a totally different situation, and I think that would be tough. It that is. would be tough to kind of sit by and either watch, try to give my opinion and interject it not be appreciated yeah. and then have to work out that dynamic with a significant other I think would be 
challenging. That's something I've avoided, fortunately. Yeah. Because I've not really had to deal with Steve's ex, and he hasn't really had conflicts with, with my ex either. Like, right. we all seem to just be able to get along. Mm-hmm. And so we're very fortunate in that. But Steve and I had a very clear definition before he entered into the marriage as to what his role was going to be in my children's lives. And what was interesting is I did kind of learn from our experience mm-hmm. and the situation that we had with my mother marrying your father and things that I didn't think went well. And I said, based on being a child of a divorce and having someone come into my life and try to take this role, I know how awful it was for me as a kid, so I would ask you to not do that. And I said right. that Steve and I had that conversation. And when I was doing the research for this and I was looking up tips for success <laughs> tips. in blending families, basically the things that they had said were things that I had, that Steve and I had just agreed to. stumbled on to. Right, but it was because of my past experience. So I'm not trying to claim that I'm just that much more enlightened and I have the key, because we've still, you know, everyone makes mistakes. But I had had, well, I that's just That's the reason knew, I think we're special between you and me is because it wasn't just you. I mean, it was just obvious and apparent that if we were going to continue in a serious relationship and move on toward a marriage, we needed to, to talk to each other and set our expectations and yes. limits because our parenting styles were different. Yes. I mean, my kids, my three kids were two of which were raised and gone. The last one was getting ready to graduate high school and go on where you, two of yours, all three of yours were still at home at the time. And, and it's just, it was already different. We were already set in our ways and already saw that that would probably be the biggest point of contention. So we talked it out and said, you know, I know this this could be something and I don't want it to be something. How, how, how do you feel about it? How do I, you know, so we, we set expectations well, for it, each other. And I made it clear from the get-go, I have to be the disciplinarian. You can't just roll into my kids' lives and expect to just start, especially because your parenting style is a little bit different. You're a little bit more authoritarian than I am depending on the needs and the situation. So, but you're so also we, just as relaxed and hands-off as I am, depending on the situation. So I made it very clear. I said, they're not, it's not going to go well if you st- roll in and decide to start bossing my kids around because they're going to be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Because that's how I felt. And when I was looking up those tips, that's one of the things they said. The step-parent cannot just step in and take an authoritarian mm-hmm. role. And they can't step into being a disciplinarian. That that's something that has to be earned later on once they've established a relationship or just not done at all and left to the biological parent, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. And the other thing they talked about is it's incredibly important for the, the parent and her spouse or his spouse to have time alone separate from the kids because right. the kids tend to... One of the things that can make result in children having a lot of trouble with divorce is when the, the biological parent just ignores them for the attention of the new parent, which happens a lot, unfortunately. Oh, you see all the time, like, mom or dad gets a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and they, get, and they put all their focus on them, and the kids feel neglected and abandoned for, like, a second time, and it's really sad. So when they're together, you the step-parent has to allow the parent to have time with their child alone where their the child does not have to compete for attention but at the same time the biological parent and their spouse also need time alone right. where the kids aren't involved we're fortunate in that extent that my that my ex and I share 50/50 so we split all the time so we have the kids are with us half the time with him half the time because both of us wanted to be fully involved parents but that also means Steve and I have time where it's just the two of us right and when the kids are around he just kind of does his own thing and stays out of the way so this, the kids really do have my attention 
sometimes it can be overwhelming for me because sometimes that means that I kind of act as a single parent. Like he helps out in any capacity that he can, but if it's an emotional need or if it's something they need for school, those are my responsibility and I've got to handle it. And so it can still feel a little bit like single parenting, but I feel like we've, we've struck a good balance. And I don't know how that was with, with you guys. Like when, yeah. when Trace came into your lives, was it? So he didn't have children from his previous marriage. So we were, you know, the kids, which he was, you know, I think he stepped in when he felt it was necessary. But I, and this is how I feel. I don't know if Lisa feels differently, but our mom was really the disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we would talk back and, you know, he would then come in and be, hey, you know, and sort yeah. of try to shut it down because it was the way that we were speaking to our mom. Right. You know, so she, I think she could absolutely handle herself. And then it, when it got to the point where we were horrible teenagers <laughs> and hated everyone, yeah. and, you know, that he stepped in when he felt it was necessary. But he really did defer and leave it up to her. Did you resent his intrusion? Did you think he was out of line? I think I didn't. I know that Lisa had a different experience. <laughs> yeah, look on her <laughs> face. <laughs> Hold up. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see the smirk on my sister's face. You know, and I think also Lisa and I, we grew up, we were were two years, we're 22 months apart, so we are close, but we had wildly different experiences and different memories, I think, of childhood, of relationships, so Mm -hmm. it's interesting. I mean, it really is to, I, yeah, like my childhood felt scary and lonely and uncertain and I think that a lot more of your childhood was you know feeling comfortable and surrounded by friends yeah and, you know you, you you had sort of safety and it's not to say that I didn't have you know safety or support but I didn't feel it in the same way that Lynn's did yeah and do you think that's just because you're intrinsically different like that your personality is just different so that shaped your perception or do you think your experience was different because you were older and she didn't I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely am more introverted and more um, just sort of get inside myself and get inside my mm-hmm. own head. But on the other hand, I also, you know, being the slightly older child, I was privy to a bit more of the information than Lindsay was. And I also, mm-hmm. I kind of got along better or was more interested in adults and adult conversations when I was a kid than I was with, you know, some other kids' conversations. And so I always wanted to be, you know, on the outskirts in, and listening and on the, the parents. And so I, I think I, I heard things that I shouldn't have, and it probably influenced my I, worldview negatively. I was going to ask you that now. Do you think that there was ever any kind of oversharing? Did your did your parents ever talk negatively to you about the other parent? Yes, yes. Both my experience was that both of my parents had spoken negatively about the other parent on multiple occasions. But as and a child, yes. or as we got older, all of it. Okay. Beginning when we were kids, um, and. By the time I hit my 20s, I realized that it was not something that I could handle and I was trying to forge independent relationships as an adult with my parents. And so I had some pretty serious sit-downs with both both parents. I remember, you know, sitting down with dad. We were in a Brooklyn bar when he was doing a lecture at Fort Hamilton. And I finally said to him, look, I'm 25 years old stop it like it's been mm-hmm. 20 years I don't want to hear any more and I've had the exact same conversation with my mom so you guys came from a different situation in terms of that than I did because mm-hmm. my parents in the very beginning there was some comments right but it wasn't ongoing and in fact now they get along like they my 
my mother and your dad will have dinner, go out to dinner, and spend time with right. my father and my stepmother. Which my, is so fascinating. Oh, it's really it is. They I mean, all come I, over I, for Christmas. I remember when I graduated from high school and then from college, and then when I got married, the biggest stressors around those events were, how is it going to be to have my parents yeah. and my separate families together in the same room? Will yeah. they get along? Or are we going to end up in one of those brawls on Jerry Springer? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's a common problem. So uh, I appreciate the fact that my parents get along. And it, did, it wasn't always wine and roses in the beginning, and it, it, that was something that's taken a lot of time and I'm very grateful for it. And plus, they got so they got divorced 30 years ago. I was 14 when they split. I saw it coming. Uh, they had almost split four years previously when I was 10, and they kind of tried to stick it out for an additional four years. But by the time they got divorced, I was old enough and aware enough that I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised, and I'm okay with it. And it actually wasn't traumatic for me. What was traumatic for me, it was hard moving out of my childhood home. And it was hard that my mom was gone more often. It was just the two of us. I was coming home to an empty house a lot because she was working full time. And there were a couple people she dated I did not like at all. And then when your dad came into the picture, as you guys know, that was rough mm -hmm. for us. My relationship yeah. with your dad is good now, but really it didn't improve until I moved out and was yeah. an adult who could walk away from a situation or who was not under his rule. When we never lived with our dad. So right. I think that was the unique thing, yeah. is that we saw him summers and holidays. You guys got kind of like the edited versions. You guys got like... And you got the edited version of us. Yes, it's like right. the highlight reel. Right, so you right. guys have the highlight reel of each other's lives, where with your mom, you guys mm -hmm. had the unedited, unabridged... Right, exactly. Dirty, nasty, with, exactly. All, the, with all the bloopers. That was one of the sore spots for the three of us in becoming close and becoming the sister unit that we've become today, in that... We had such wildly different relationships with our parents and all our whole, mm -hmm. you know, big set of parents had such different expectations and approaches mm -hmm. to child rearing and it essentially meant that, you know, we would kind of invade your house periodically and Which, it, to be, it was like To be true, that didn't bother me. You guys being around never bothered me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just so you know. Good. <laughs> But, but, you know, I, I think we were very aware that we had a, a very different experience mm -hmm. being around Dad and Kathy than you did being around them. And it, and it felt unjust to us. And he, well, he also acted very differently toward you than he did to me. Yeah. He was very hard on me in a way that he was never hard on you. And he saw you guys as sweetness and light because I was 15 when they got together. And because again we talked about you had he'd he'd gotten the highlight reel version of the relationship with you, and he when, got the blooper reel with you. Oh my God! And then some. And so when he saw my difficult relationship with my mother, and and as you guys know, I was very outspoken and I would argue all the time and he was appalled by my behavior. And it wasn't until years later where he went where you guys became teens and you weren't like these. You had normal emotions, and you weren't like the same sweet, affable right. daughters that he'd had growing up. You actually started to have some negative moods sometimes. You started to be bitchy teenagers. Right, right. And then he was like, oh, so Amanda was actually normal. But right, he didn't right. have any point of comparison except right. these sweet little girls. And then there's this bitch who argues with her mom and rides his ass all the time. 
And he just, and he was so used to everybody liking him, and I didn't immediately like him, and that really bothered him, and it created a lot of problems for us. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that I I know that dad got over-involved in the disciplinarian lecturing role Mm -hmm. when he felt that you had misbehaved, whereas our experience was that our stepdad was sort of removed from it, and Mm -hmm. I think... I was of two minds. On one hand, I felt kind of more resentful that he didn't take a bigger parenting role. He was sort of like a supporting actor for our mom, but didn't feel as much of a parent to me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted that. It, it it felt almost unfair to our mom. On the other hand, when he did on a few occasions get involved, Lindsay's experience was that he would speak up when Linz spoke badly to our mom. My experience was more when I acted out in a way that was inappropriate, more it was like a behavioral thing, mm-hmm. mom would be lecturing me and Trace would do assistant coach in the background. You know how <laughs> the assistant coach will just repeat like yeah. one word like <laughs> out of the whole speech, like disgusting. <laughs> it's just terrible. <laughs> but, like, but it would be so sporadic in the conversation. It was so like, you why? loved it, right? Right. No, it was like, why are you here? Like, either be a part of this and be a part of the discussion and, you know, genuinely parenting me. So did it feel like a performance rather than actual it, it, involvement? It was like a peanut gallery. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? You don't actually want to be involved, but you want to have, like, a say. You right. want to throw in your two cents, but you don't want to truly be engaged. And we, so we got to... So because of that, as I mentioned, our relationship was a little different. But any any problems that I had with your dad, never. I don't feel like it. It didn't taint my opinion of you guys. Now I don't know. I know you. You guys struggled a little bit with my mouthiness and my fighting with him. And I know, I, I I'm sure I made a lot of uncomfortable situations because I would argue with him constantly. And sometimes I would take it upon myself to argue things on for you guys, right. not because you had asked me to, but because I saw him doing something I didn't like. In some ways, like you were the brave mouthpiece for this sister unit. You know, I I think that there were times when I felt guilty, extremely guilty about the differences in our relationship with our dad and, you know, just our interactions. And I think that there were times when you pointed it out and it was like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just a teenager. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to change this. I see these people, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple weeks a year. Yeah. And I didn't didn't have any expectation on you guys. I was just so frustrated. And I was like, do you guys see this? I'm not crazy, right? Like, you see this, right? So for me, I felt very alone because I felt very much like my mother was not my ally. Now, she may have been arguing on my behalf behind the scenes because, you know, it's not a good idea. Like, if Steve and I have an issue, especially if I have an issue with something he's done with the kids, I'm not going to talk to him about it in front of the kids. So there could have been a lot of behind-the-scenes conversations that I didn't know were taking place. But I felt very alone. And so I felt like I was always having this battle for every single thing. And a lot of times it was for basic decency because your father react spoke to and and I don't mean this in like he wasn't abusive or disrespectful but he was he pushed the boundary and it was so weird it was like we so would go gross. from one set of parents where it was one set of rules and they were you know they, they they would embrace one another you know when Trace got home from work yeah. and they would you know kiss one another that side of the family they were not a yelling family you know mom was very much a let's talk it out it's totally inappropriate to raise your voice oh yes and we're yellers right <laughs> and 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 the Jacob Green family Jacob Austin Green family you know there was a lot more yelling. There Although was... your dad always stayed, kept he didn't yell a lot, and that's why I that's why I was so when I was talking to you guys about those kinds of things, it wasn't like it's your job to stand up and say something. It was more like 
I'm not crazy, right? Like, this is fucked up, right? Like, because I, I did feel so alone and, and I was so upset and I and felt so powerless. I was looking for allies wherever I could find them. And yeah. you guys just wanted to be Switzerland, well, which you had every right to be. But I, but I think also <laughs> age. Yes, absolutely. But at their okay. age, it's very hard to know how to. Right. Yes, absolutely. Because when I when I when I would hear your frustration, I wanted to fix it, but it was kind of like it, it came across more. Uh, now now I know, and you know, I've long since known that it was not your intent to criticize us no, or to, yeah, yeah, like no. to tell us to act on your behalf. But that's kind of how we heard it. We're mm. we're kind of like like we want to fix this, but I think also like we we couldn't speak up. Yeah. In some respects, because we saw what happened to you when you spoke. <laughs> <laughs> we saw the futility. Yeah, yeah, we were like, forget that. We'll get frozen yeah. yogurt. And in retrospect, I realized that I was fighting a losing battle. There was no changing of the behavior. I thought that if I pointed it out enough and I shouted loud enough or I, I fought long enough that eventually things would change. And that's just not the case. And what I've learned as I've gotten older is very few people are able to hear criticism, recognize that they're doing something wrong, and stop doing it. Right. And it wasn't going to happen. There was nothing I could say. There was no way I could say it that would have gotten through and created the change that I was hoping for, mm -hmm. which is why when I moved out, it made such a huge difference because then I didn't have to see those types of things and I could be my own person. And if I had to walk away because I was angry or something was going badly, that gave me a power that I didn't have when I was living there. And that saved my relationship mm -hmm. with both him and my mom. Yeah. But I always adored you guys. I always enjoyed you being around. And like I said, yeah. I did see you as allies, even though I knew I knew that you had such limited time with your dad that you weren't even going to want to try to take on these battles with him because it was like such short periods of time. Why would you want to make it acrimonious, right? Like, yeah. So I understood that, but I was so desperate and I was just lashing out in any yeah. way that I could. Well, and, it, it's, and it's unfortunate because, you know, we kind of had the front row seat to your teen years, but you didn't get to see as much of our teen years because no. Dad and Kathy, <laughs> you know, moved to California. And so we would go out and see them there. Mm -hmm. And you had your adult life here. Yeah. And so we didn't see you as often for a while. And so I, th I think you really missed some of our our uglier moments with, <laughs> with Dad and Kathy. You know, Jeez, what France wasn't ugly enough. <laughs> I missed my opportunity Did to you be two in the take, peanut gallery. Yeah, you two took some lessons from Amanda? Is this what you're saying? Uh, I don't know that. that no, I don't think that's <laughs> She was an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know if you're trying to imply it was a bad influence, Steve, but I don't think that's what's being said. Well, no, that, that you taught them to speak up. I don't know. They might have just or... gotten there on their own anyway. <laughs> I think they also got to the point, because when I would talk to them, you were more, you, Lindsay, were much more hesitant to say anything bad about anybody. Yeah, and that was across, like, the board. Right, like that I said, about like, anybody. Yes. You yep. just wanted everybody to get along. Why right. can't we can't all just we? get along? Exactly. And the Pisces in me recognizes that as well. Unfortunately, because of my living situation, mm -hmm. I got to the point where I had to be a little bit more battle-worn and aggressive in order to protect myself because mm -hmm. I too have that aspect. I don't like conflict and the more my life has calmed down, the less I like it. So I find myself becoming much more passive as I get older because I don't want that. But at that time, sure. I had spent so many years because I haven't really talked about my family situation, but 
I have a biological sibling who's four years older than me. Our relationship, I lived with him for the first 14 years of my life. Our relationship was never good. We were never close. We had a brief period of time in my early to late 20s where we kind of got along and then it went downhill from there. And now we no longer have contact because we are simply incompatible. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time in my youth being the good, quiet kid who just stayed out of trouble because somebody else was getting in trouble. And so that, of course, created some resentment because it made it look like I was goody two-shoes. And it's like, no, I'm just I'm just staying out of attention. Like, I don't want the spotlight on me. I'm good. Right. I'm just going to go over here and do my own thing because I have volatile people in my home and I didn't want to be on the receiving end of any of that. So I was actually kind of chill for a long time but then when it was just me and my mom and shit started to go down that person in me who had been the peacekeeper kind of took a step back and another version of me came forward who I've had to deal with for a very long time. I was very angry. I fought everything and in part it was for survival but I didn't know how to shut it off. And so I spent a lot of time being angry and lashing out and not understanding that there's a better time and place mm-hmm. and way to handle those types of things. My ex-husband is, was a victim to that many, many times. And he was so calm and relaxed and non-confrontational. I'm like, holy shit, this is like the calmest, sanest person I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because of that, when I would kind of lash out and I didn't have anybody to push back, and so it's taken me a long time to realize that it's not okay for me to make other people feel uncomfortable just because I'm upset, and I've, I've become much more aware of the impact of my words and my emotions, and to a certain degree, I would sometimes throw kind of temper tantrums, and even if they were justified, even if I had a right to be upset, that didn't mean I had a right to handle it in the way I did, and that's something I'm incredibly conscious of now, but at 44 years old, I'm still trying to stop doing that. But at you know, 15 through 17 years old, it's that was not your res- <laughs> it's impossible, but it's also, yeah, it was not your response. responsibility to figure that out on your own, and I, I think that's where our, our parents, much as I love them all, I think that they all could have done a better job of talking to us as individuals mm-hmm. and bonding with us as individuals. I think that there was a lot of comparison um, among Oh, well, Lindsay's of- obviously the favorite, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> She's the sweet, easy one. Yeah. And you and I aren't easy. Yeah. No. no. Well, you it, guys it's were funny. tempestuous. <laughs> it's fascinating that you describe yourself and moody. as... The, it's fascinating to me that you describe yourself as a peacemaker because that's actually what, like, my high school friends, like, referred to me as. Yeah. And, the idea of me as a peacemaker now is hilarious. It's laughable, right? Yes. <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I kind of swallowed down, you know, my hurt and anger. Yeah. And it's not because I had volatility so much around me as it was just I didn't feel like it was appropriate or going to be welcome for, mm-hmm. for me to express any kind of unhappiness. And then by the time I, you know, got to college and then graduated from college, it was like, oh, I got a problem. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened to me. It's like, finally, the, the, the reins were removed. It's like everyone else, for the first 14 years of my life, everyone else in my family got to be angry and got to be depressed and got to be moody. And I was always the good one. And then when that finally stopped happening, it was like, I made up for 14 years of having to be nice and sweet, and I went fucking crazy. Like I went like the polar opposite direction. So it, it could be it could be a discussion of balance in your own self, saying no, it's my turn to to speak up for a while. Yes. On the other way, it could also you know we've talked before about you know on a daily basis, 
you only have so much energy you can put into something before yeah. you run out of the energy for that and you need to go to sleep, recharge your batteries yeah. and come back tomorrow. But it could be that after so many years of being the peacemaker, you just didn't have it in you anymore because when you've tried to be that person for so long and nobody's listening to you and everybody's resisting your attempts to try to make things better and they just want to, every time you get together, they spool off. And after a while, you want to go, forget it, let them go. Let's just go ahead and and call Jerry Springer and let's get him on stage. I'm ready. Let's go. Well, you have a because you get exhausted, pool, and you have a limited pool of willpower that you can exert in any given day. But you just said you're exhausted. That's how I feel now. There are certain times now where conflicts will come up, and recently some things have occurred, and I've had conversations with you know you guys before about there's this situation I'm really frustrated, and even though I don't like the fact that things aren't fair. Or if I feel like I'm being kind of taken advantage of, I recognize that any attempt I make to address it or call it out is going to be futile. That it's not really going to resolve anything, and in fact, it could just make things awkward. I would love to double back to something. Sure. I actually, you mentioned this last night, and I don't know how we've gone all this time without me realizing that your parents divorced when you were 14. Yeah. I thought that you were much younger, like maybe 11 when your parents divorced. So I think that that also adds some perspective to what I observed of dad and Kathy's and your relationship mm-hmm. where, you know, it was still fresh that yeah. your parents were out of it. And, you know, we, we and you had those form you had 14 years with parents. Mm-hmm. Right? I had three. Well, yeah. Keep in mind. <laughs> right. To be it fit, wasn't yes. great. It wasn't roses and sunshine. And, and, right. and the, it's not like I had a, a perfect marriage modeled for me mm-hmm. that then was destroyed and torn asunder. Totally. It was troubled from the get go. And I knew right. it, which is why it wasn't traumatic because I saw it coming. And in fact, when the divorce happens has a huge impact on how well children adapt. So the age you guys were is actually most kids as young as you were take to it pretty well. They recover pretty well. Mm-hmm. So my when I divorced, my oldest was 12. Uh, my middle then would have been 9. And my youngest was uh, 4. So my youngest at that age... Hadn't spent as much time, so he was at the age for it to be relatively easy. Jack was at the age where he was old enough to understand it and get it enough to adapt well. Mm-hmm. Middle child, my daughter, that like the from what I've seen, her age is like the worst mm. age. They they deal with it the wor- in the worst way. It impacts them the most. They struggle with it the most. And in my experience, that is absolutely proven to be true. My right. my boys took it in stride much better than her for a number of reasons. But so the age where you guys at, in theory, it wouldn't right. have been as traumatic because you didn't spend as you were young and you didn't right. spend as much time. Right. You're resilient, adaptable. And, right. Kind of and stuff. we also, you know, we had four solid years with our mom as, you know, our primary yeah. custodial parent where mom was the boss mm-hmm. and then mom got remarried. And mom continued to be the boss in many yeah. respects, yeah. and and so there wasn't really a radical change in our in th- there there was certainly a radical change in our lives in that you know we moved to Connecticut and there was right. a totally different experience. We were away from our you know the other side of our family, mm-hmm. but it was still consistent in terms of the rules and who was in charge. Yeah, which is where we agreed when we started getting serious with each other that like, okay. You're gonna to have to deal with your kids. This is this this is gonna be the best thing. I you know maybe it was the 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 divorce that she experienced as a child. Yes. That has made her <laughs> extremely conscientious of 
how her children are exposed to or how things are introduced to them, different topics of conversation, and being very aware of their reactions and being sensitive to them, which, you know, a lot of people would just say, well, no, I'm done with that. I'm going on to the next. They'll figure it out. Well, no, they're your kids. You're you're supposed to be the parent. You're supposed to try to help help them through the situation as well because it's not just you, but some people don't see that. Well, I, I'm not sure exactly where I was going. <laughs> no, it looked I, like you were going to say something and then you thought, maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I, I think that there's a radical difference in terms of the way you guys have approached your marriage and how you parent and parent one another's children and what it was like when we were kids. I I don't know what it was like for you know other kids whose parents divorced in the 80s, but I kind of felt as if that was the era where divorce was very much a ripping apart. It was a separation and there was not as much expectation of parents coming together for the benefit of the children. So yeah. it was almost like the kids who were stuck in the middle and I feel like a lot more now it's the parents it's the on both sides getting yeah. stuck in the middle. I you know, I think it's fascinating that there's this, you know, movement now of parents keeping the the family home, the kids stay and live in the home, and then the parents cycle out. I think that's called, is it open nesting, I think it might be referred to? Yeah, but I I just, I I can't even fathom what it would have been like to share a house with our divorced parents and have them coming in and out. But on the other hand, I think that it would have been such, I, I think that divorce when we were kids was a much less stable affair than it is now. Well, nobody knew what to do with it. Right. And it was very confusing. Now, so when my ex-husband and I got a divorce, we were required to go to a class by the county before our divorce could get approved where they taught us how to behave and how not to behave in a divorce. And a lot of it was... Because you had children? or Yes, just because okay. we had got children. It. Got it. And it was a class on basically how not to be assholes <laughs> and use your children as pawns and pit them against... And then try to pit them against each parent. And, and a lot of what they said was completely common sense to me. Like, I understood it. And even though there were hard times when my ex and I divorced, we've always worked very hard to be friendly. I mean, there are times I think when we get frustrated and things slip, Mm -hmm. but by and large, we get along and we, we made a concerted effort to still co-parent regardless of the issues we had with each other. And I think we've done a good job of that. And what's hard is that we didn't argue in front of my kids. And so when we did split, it came as a surprise to them. But I was always taught, don't argue in front of your kids. And I saw those types of things going on. And I know the impact it had on me. But then if they don't see the fact that there are problems, when you do split, it takes them by surprise. And then they freak out and they feel like they've been blindsided. So there's still, while there are, there are. Right, there's no we've made best adva- way. Right. We've made huge advances in understanding how mm-hmm. to make it as painless as possible or to help ease children through it. And children are very resilient mm-hmm. and they can recover. But at the same time, there's still things that we're, that you just kind of have to wing it. And, mm-hmm. and you have to hope that you're not severely damaging your kids in the process. But the other thing that was very important to me was one of the reasons why I, I decided that I could no longer stay in the marriage was... I wanted to model a healthy relationship for my children. I was like, I don't, I want my kids to see what a healthy relationship is like, and I also want them to understand that if it's not working, you have the right to leave, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people would say is selfish. That's the other thing when you choose to divorce is that a lot of people would 
you know, you know that it's going to impact your children, you know it's going to be hard for them, and you have to ask yourself, is my happiness worth making my children unhappy? But at the same time, but it's, it's not even necessarily about your happiness, it's also about the lesson you're teaching children and by not leaving, you're saying your happiness can be subsumed, that, that your, yeah. not, not even happiness, it's, it's your contentment, your yeah. sanity, your, your future, your, your place in the world is secondary to others and that's not necessarily a great message to send to kids. Yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with that and that was one of the things that I kind of had to, to come to terms with and realize and, and that's what I, when I was talking about modeling good parenting and healthy relationships, part of that is understanding that it's okay to get out of marriage that's not working or any kind of relationship that's not healthy for you. And you can still love someone and realize that you can't be together. And I've seen a lot of people in unhappy marriage marriages and just stick it out because they think that's what they're supposed to do. That's exactly what I did in my own relationship. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know that your dad has been married for a long time to another person. Mm -hmm. Our dad and stepmom have been married for a long time. Our mom and stepdad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're sort of surrounded by these long-term relationships. And my mom drilled into me this idea that marriage takes work. Yes. And for some reason, I didn't quite understand the nuance there. I kind of thought... Well, work means work, and if it's struggle, that's still work too. And so, if, it, if it's hard and I'm miserable, it's because I'm working. Right, <laughs> well, and, and, and I have to work harder at it. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I would have stayed in my unhappy marriage forever because I believed that I did not want to go through divorce. I didn't want to give up. And so was it his choice then? It was his choice. Um, Are you glad though that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was the best thing that could have happened because I realized that. I that I that I wasn't doing what was best for me and my emotions and now I've you know been free to fully become who I want to be and pursue the passions and and I think, and friendships that I you know missed having I think that's something else too is one of the things for me was the realization that if I was always angry and always unhappy I wasn't going to be a very good mom and so part of the reason I left was because I wanted to be a better person, which would also make me a better parent. And I felt like as, as long as I continued to be in a situation where I was constantly resentful and angry, that that meant that I was not only modeling a bad relationship, but that I was also not allowing myself to be a happier person, which would make me a more patient parent, which would make me more compassionate. I would have more energy to put into my kids because I wasn't having so much energy put into being pissed off all the time and resentful all the time. And I do feel like, even though it's difficult because, as I said before, it sort of feels like I'm a single mom sometimes, I feel like because I've I'm happier and I've really been able to work on myself in ways that I couldn't before that it's enabled me to handle situations in much better ways than I would have previously I can be calmer that's not to say that I'm a perfect parent that's not to say that I still don't get impatient and lose my temper and make mistakes because I do but I think that I'm better than I would have been and that was important to me because I think this is something else too and this is a conversation Stephanie and I had in an episode we recorded about parenting. I'm, I'm not the type of parent who's completely consumed by my children. I adore my children when they were younger, of course. I, you know, you're, you are sort of babies. obsessed with them. You have to because you have to keep them alive. But um, 
I, I always need a mother. Being a mother was always part of my identity, not my entire identity. And, and I think that's important. And healthy. And mm-hmm. so that was another thing was that in order for me to be good at this one part of my life, I've got to get the rest of my life in order. But it's hard. a lot of people would look at that and say I'm, I'm selfish for making the decision that I did. A lot of, you know, a lot of people too, which is very frustrating because you talked about how you, Lisa, worked so hard in your relationship. It really bothers me that people who think that just because they've stayed together that they're doing the work. I see a lot of people who aren't working at their marriages at all. Exactly. They just haven't bothered to leave them. Exactly. Well, and they they can be as judgmental as they want, but then what happens behind closed doors? Right. What do we not see that's dysfunctional? Right. But they like to be superior and and make it seem as though marriage is hard work, and if you get a divorce, it's because you're just too lazy. I fucking worked. I worked a lot. It was very hard. And that's the other thing is that, yes, marriage takes work, I would argue that good marriages aren't hard. Right. right. Yes, they require work. They require patience and they require, I, I told Steve. Communication. Communication. I told him, I said, one time I said, I want you to understand you're one of the very few people in this world that when something happens and my initial response is to get angry, that I will actually stop and say, wait, does he deserve that? And I will, and I will ask myself, you can either choose to stay angry at him about this situation and move forward out of anger, or you can recognize that this isn't a big deal, or you're going to forgive it, and you're just going to let it go. And in a previous life, in a previous relationship, I never would have even stopped to consider that. And there are so many times when I find myself having knee-jerk reactions because I can be temperamental and I recognize that part of myself. I choose not to be mad at Steve all the time because we have a good relationship and because at my heart I know he doesn't deserve it. And so I am willing to cut him. If you slack. want, I can leave the room and she can tell you the truth. No, <laughs> no, but that's but that, and and that's made it easier for me because I'm not angry at you all the time, you know. And and I feel like that makes both of us happier. But I, oh yeah, I, I don't like it when you're angry. At no, me. and I don't like to be angry. I don't. I, I as much as I can get a rush off of anger. Righteous indignation feels awesome which we talk about in our episode about wrath it's um, it the, the effect it can have on you is incredible i am a recovering rageaholic like i'm a recovering addict to anger and i don't like it anymore like sometimes i can get real worked up there was something that happened the other day and steve came home and i was practically vibrating and i was so upset and i was talking to him and i was yelling fortunately he understood i wasn't yelling at him but I was so angry mm-hmm. that I, I was shaking. And there was a time when I got would have gotten real worked up on that. Now I fucking hated it. I hated it. And it just upset me so much. And it troubled me. And it stuck with me. And that is to me, speaks in large part to just how far I've come. But I wouldn't have been able to evolve had I stayed in the situation I was in. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I will always be sorry for the pain that it has caused my children. But I also think that... that the, You've shown them it's, a better way. I hope so. And I do think that resilience comes from, from hardship. Not to be like, oh, well, you know, I don't mean to imply that you have to have shitty things happen in order to be a strong person. But I would also say that divorce, I feel like it, there is not a, huge, a big stigma now. Or it, there, it sort of got, it's natural. And yeah. I say like natural in quotes in that 
why should you not be happy? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that it's, I would rather for my, from my perspective have had, you know, gone through the situation, our parents divorced because they were not compatible. And that's something too that's so important. Someone you're compatible with. I got married when I was 22 years old. The person you are compatible Mm -hmm. with at 22 Wow. There's a good fucking chance that person is not going to be compatible with you 10, 15, 20 years later. Exactly. Because people change, and sometimes you change in different directions. Or sometimes one person changes and the other person doesn't. Like, there's so many different things that can happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I didn't love him, and it doesn't mean that we weren't good together for a while, and it doesn't mean that I don't care about him, and I still get along with him, and I like right. him. It just reached a point where we weren't good for each other anymore. Right. Are there, aren't there death, some, go ahead. Aren't there some, I mean, some psychological studies that discuss the fact that People in general, but as a whole, don't truly reach mental, emotional, and physical maturity until 25. ballpark 25. Yeah. So people who are getting married and expecting these lifelong commitments before then, right. there's a really good chance that you and or your partner are going to change. Now, there are yes. some who don't. Yes. God forbid, these are the people who have those 75-year wedding anniversaries and, and Lord which love them. Which is awesome. Which is amazing. They're lucky that they found the person... That, that they I think would, that's rarer. They compat- I do, yeah. I mean, the other argument for why people get divorced more often is we're living longer. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. That, you know, I, I don't know when wedding vows as they, you know, are now first came to be. But when people were first saying, till death do us part, they were dying at 40, 50. <laughs> yeah. Death <laughs> was not far yes, off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not hard to stick with someone for five fucking years, right. especially when you work. So much. It's not like you're spending any time with them anyway. Yeah. If you don't like, you're plowing the fields for like twenty-two hours. The wife's busy with the kids. Your thirteen kids. Right. The wife's busy with. You don't have to talk to each other very much. So really, I mean, it doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) But so the other thing I want to talk about. So we've talked a lot about like blending families and Mm -hmm. divorce and the impact that 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 had on us. But what I also want to explore is um, siblings. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was sibling dynamics. Because we obviously have an interesting situation because we all have biological siblings. We have step-siblings. I also have a half-sibling who is 23 years younger than me because my father and stepmother adopted a child who is the same age as my oldest son because we never grew up and lived together. Of course, that creates a different dynamic. So even though... Um, she's my sister. It's obviously a different type of relationship that I have with you guys, or even a different type of relationship I have with a biological sibling, because we were never raised together in the same space. And so while our relationship is good, I mean, we get along just fine. We're just not particularly close because I'm old enough to be your mom. And that changes the dynamic of things. The fact that even though we share a father, uh, we were not raised together in the same house. You share a different father almost. Well, and to be completely honest, that's very, very true. Because my father was, I believe, 51 by the time that they got her. And so he's a very different parent in some ways. But to be honest, I don't entirely know because I'm not there to see what happens. I think she's gotten a much more mellow version of my dad Mm -hmm. than I have. Which makes sense because that tends to happen when you get older. And she has a different mom. And so I'm sure her experience... Because she was also essentially raised an only child, and I know that that was something, especially when she was younger, she wasn't thrilled about. Uh, she had friends who had lots of siblings, and she would kind of bemoan the fact, from what I understand, that she didn't have siblings. And 
even though she does, technically, we weren't raised with her and we were considerably older, so the dynamic is completely different. So we get along fine, it, it, you know, we have a decent relationship, but we're not particularly close because of the age difference and the fact that we were raised completely separately. That has altered things. So I grew up the baby, I was the baby of the two, so Lindsay, you were the baby, yep. and Lisa, you were the older one, but then when our families were blended, technically I became a middle child, but because my older sibling was kind of absent, because he was older and he was gone, he was not, he never lived with us, and he wasn't present most of the time, the, our little threesome kind of shifted to me being the oldest, Lisa being the middle, yep. and Lindsay forever the baby. <laughs> forever the baby. You could, that can be your memoir, memoir title. Forever baby. <laughs> forever your baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Mariah Carey song. I know. Carolina, I don't know how I feel about that. So did you guys feel, well, your role didn't really change. No. Mine did, because suddenly I felt like an older sibling, and, and I was didn't quite know how to how to handle it in the sense that am I supposed to be a role model because that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> like again, as you guys know, you know, I had a bit of a filthy mouth, I had very strong opinions and, and I battled with your dad constantly. So if I was supposed to be setting a good example, I failed miserably. That, I think that's what the first sibling does. That that's what the oldest child always does. They're the ones who fight the battles so that the ones who come next have an easier time. They pave the way. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. You know, we learned a great deal from you. One of my favorite bands is one that you introduced me to when I was twelve. <laughs> yeah. So Yes. I took you guys from New Kids on the Block to Depeche Mode. Yeah. In one <laughs> summer. It was beautiful. And we, actually, we still love both, to be fair, but it's a different love and it's a different respect. That's okay. I mean, to be completely honest, even though I didn't love their music, Joey McIntyre is pretty fucking cute. And he's so. still is. <laughs> he is. He's he aged amazingly well. Oh, so, you know, it kind of went both ways. Yeah. You know, you guys influenced me a little. I would read on, <laughs> we would go on trips, and I think you guys... Always had the Babysitter's Club's book, Babysitter Club book, Books. and I ran out of shit to read, and I was so bored. I was like, "Just give me whatever you got." So I'm like, I'm like 16 years old, and I'm like, "I don't give a shit. Give me another Babysitter's Club or or what was it? Sweet, Sweet Valley, Sweet yeah. Valley Hot." Like, I don't care. I'll read it. <laughs> so I got exposure to a lot of like preteen uh, literature that I never. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was so sweet and innocent. It was actually, I was really into like Stephen King and shit like that at that time. So I have to say it was a bit of a palate cleanser. It was a nice, mm-hmm. a nice gentle break from the horror. A return to innocence. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anya. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so back to siblings and how uh-huh. our roles might have changed. I think that it it was a little bit strange to go from being the eldest and mm-hmm. to be, you know, one of only two children when we lived in Connecticut to when we were visiting in Ohio being one of four children, but mm-hmm. really more a de facto three children. I, I think it was it, it wasn't that radically different, but it was a little bit weird. Yeah. And, and again, it gets back to, you know, people living completely different lives with different expectations and different rules and then we suddenly come together under one roof and it's sometimes it blends well and mm-hmm. sometimes it didn't always blend that great. I remember waking up to the chore lists in the summer mm-hmm. and we'd be like oh <laughs> it was just make as ratatouille what do you mean <laughs> make ratatouille <laughs> what the 
You know, I, I actually read that they now breed eggplants so that it's not as bitter. Do they? So you guys, I fucking hated that shit. Yeah, I hated ratatouille. When we went to France, courtesy of your father, and it, and despite the conflicts that I had with him, it was still a good trip. Yeah. I had great fun with you guys, even though we royally pissed off Lindsay. <laughs> you had a couple. You had a couple yeah, moments in that trip moments. where you just like you didn't lose your shit in the in the sense that you like went off on us. You shut down. Like you go to the point where you just quit talking and you would have nothing to do with us for a while. <laughs> See, I don't remember that at all. I remember when Lindsay finally resorted to violence. Well, that was on you, right? But but I, <laughs> you guys fought constantly. Yes. I'd be like, please, would <laughs> you please we were the children? So I, don't, I don't remember rolling Lindsay up in a blanket like she was a burrito, <laughs> like you and I like forcibly rolled her up in the blanket. And then I don't remember what happened, like, next, but then shortly after that, I remember Lindsay giving me a double fish hook, mm-hmm. like, trying to rip my face, <laughs> rip your face off. I was so mad. I don't, how have I blinked out? I remember when we were in the car, to we were traveling to the, the city where they bought the copper pots. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of the city. I do remember our hotel room was beautiful, was there- though. I saw a picture. It had the... It had the wallpaper that was like pastel rainbows and stuff all over it. It was like very dreamy and ethereal. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) Lindsay was in a terrible, foggy mood and didn't want to be around this. So they wanted to go look at pots, and Lindsay opted to go with them because she couldn't stand to be around us anymore. (laughs) And that was a point where you were sitting in the middle of the car, and I think I was fucking with... I I feel so bad about it now. I used to bruise the shit out of her, but what I would do is I would pinch her, and I still kind of do this to people sometimes especially when I'm in a situation where I'm supposed to be good and somebody's being a real shit and I can't say or do anything I will I will reach over and either squeeze the knee of the person next to me like I'm gonna lose my shit so I'm just gonna do this to regain control or I'll slip my hand underneath their arm and like pinch the soft under that happens between us at least once a week like Lindsay will say something in the car and I'll just reach over and gently (laughs) grab the the arm delicate under yes yes and but I would do that to Lindsay and I remember one time you told me that your mother was horrified because you came home with bruises and I felt so bad I'm like their mother's going to think I'm a monster. <laughs> no, Lisa and I gave each other so many But the thing though. is, you would laugh, and so it was I so know. hard. Like, it, if the you had been crying... Pain, pain yes. is funny, yes. my friend. Had you, you don't cried, worry. I Lin- never would have literally done. has scars oh my from, God. Me. from me, <laughs> not from you. So, no, it's fine. But, no, it, I, it was really interesting, like, our relationship with you in that you were this, you know, cool older sister who, you know, we didn't really get to spend all that much time with and so we tried to you know cram in as much fun yeah. as possible whereas Linz and I were like on top of each other all the yeah. fucking time mm-hmm. being 21 months apart we were always together and you know just by virtue of the fact that you know yeah. we were close in age and we were both female we, you know we'd always get put in the same bedroom yes. we were visiting places and you, you know we'd you have guys to refuse the same to bed. do that now yeah you won't, that's a line in the scene that it you is. guys have drawn yes yeah. that you will as no an adult share a bed. I, there is no need <laughs> and i totally get that i totally yeah. understand that right. it, it literally was what 20 years more, more. like I, I really want to say that we were being made to share beds when we visited places up until our like early 30s yeah it just got to the point where well and also it didn't help that I developed a snoring problem and (laughs) and I wanted to murder my sister maybe you did that on purpose (laughs) (laughs) yes it was a tactic to make it easier for you guys to split apart but but you're roommates so you obviously still which is interesting but by choice 
Right. And we have our own space. And when we don't, we've realized also as adults, when we don't have our own space, even in our own house, we get to the point where we start having what we call sister fights, which is just bickering. And you're like, I need my space. So we'll have family come and visit, as you guys know. And there are times where if we can't just have either downtime or kind of what do what we want to do, which sometimes is absolutely nothing, yeah. like, we'll lose it. So our mom was visiting recently. But it's only bickering. Like, we only bring it to, like, a six or a seven. Yeah. So us. you're no longer physically abusive. No. But, like, our sister fights when we periodically kind of let off steam with one another and we just have a bickering fight when we're alone, we'll hit 11. Yeah. And then five minutes later, one of us will crack a joke and we're laughing and we're fine yeah. again. Yeah. It definitely breaks the tension. That's something fancy. So what you're that saying you is even away. though you're grown adults, you still do the highlight reels. Oh, sometimes. When around. Oh, yeah. it, it took us a very long time to figure out how to be siblings as adults because, you know, we had all those years where we were shuttling back and forth between parents and you and I were kind of the... Putting on the happy front. Putting on the happy front, but also sort of like one another's armor. Yeah. And then we, you know, were apart for years, you know, as yeah, young adults. College. And so when you moved in with me and then I got divorced, I mean, you were my rock. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would have survived that in the way that I did without mm-hmm. your support. And it made me incredibly grateful for having a sibling in a way that I don't think I'd ever been as grateful. Aww. And that's, I'm so grateful for you guys because I yeah. don't have that relationship. Yeah. Aww. We're grateful too. Oh, who knew we needed to be <laughs> twins? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you big softy. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel it's... really lucky to be friends with you guys. Yeah. I know so many people who either never got along with their siblings Mm -hmm. or for whatever reason just don't have good relationships and so the fact that you know Lindsay and I live together Amanda you and Steve come and visit us and you know once or twice a year we come and visit you we're friends like right we're always family but but also the moment that we get together that's exactly it I love how you put that family but also friends because I think the way and I think our sort of our both of our parents style was you have these familial obligations and like mm-hmm. family is the blood kids, is thicker than water blood is thicker than water kids are deferential blah 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 blah. and you get to a point where as an adult you know you can reject that you can reject it at any point right but I think at, at, when you, as an adult you feel you're more able to but we've appreciated i think connecting with family members you know on yes their family and their blood and they're always yeah. going to be your family but you can also like them you can also not like yeah. them but the ones that you do like it's nice to gravitate and have. we've basically been able to renegotiate the terms of our yeah. relationships as adults and mm-hmm. you know even if we don't want to go to a you know a certain family meal we can say but how about we go out for you know family lunch and right. other times so you can you can make it work for all of you yeah and because I did not grow up in a family that had, I have extended family, and I don't have bad feelings about my extended family. I'm just not close to them. My yeah. my dad had three siblings, and I have several cousins. I my actually mom didn't had, know that. Yeah, my, my dad. Yeah, they've all passed. So oh. my dad is now the only one left of oh. the four, and I have some cousins. Um, one of whom, I don't know where the fuck he is because nobody talks about him, so that's kind of weird. Anyway, um, 
I like them fine, but we were never close growing up, and we're not really close now. Yeah. Uh, I'm friends with them on Facebook, and, you know, there have been occasions when I've seen them, and we get along fine, and I like them. It's just not close, and I know that there's some people who are incredibly close to cousins. Mm-hmm. Mom, my mom's side, I only have one cousin. Again, like, fine, don't see her very often, not close, you know. So, I'm, I don't, my, I'm not close to my extended family, and I grew up with parents who had complicated relationships with their siblings. So, I never grew up with the model of, we're all one big happy family, blood is thicker than water. It was more like, you can dislike people you're related to, and you don't have to spend time with them. Like, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather was an alcoholic and he was very angry angry and abusive alcoholic and so I have very few memories of him and it was because my father made the decision to not have me or my brother around him because he was not kind and he was angry and my father had no choice but to live with him and grow up with him but he did have a choice as to whether or not his children had to be exposed to that behavior and so I have very few memories of him, and the ones I do aren't great. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have bad feelings about him. I, he's just a shadow, you know. I don't really know much about him because of that. I grew up with the model of just because you're related to somebody doesn't mean that you have any. There's no inherent loyalty in shared DNA. Just because you're related to someone does not mean you have to like them, and it does not mean you have to spend time with them. Right. And so I mm-hmm. very much, I have no problem. It took me a while to get there, but I have no problem with saying, you know what, I'm done with this. This is not a good relationship. This isn't working for me, and I'm outie. Even though we may be related, it's it's not going to happen. And in your family coming in, the way your father would talk and stuff, there was a it was much more about family unity and appearances. Yes. But it's interesting because you know there was this, as Lindsay described it, this obligation. And with dad, it's very much about appearances, and we are you know a happy family, and we see our family. And I I think that everyone has developed that same sense. Like you know we have one of our aunts who you know makes sure like she would drive over to see us if we were within like a four hour drive, like mm-hmm. visiting out to California. Whereas on our mom's side of the family, she has a brother whom she sees at best once a year, has, you know, a terrible relationship. Mm-hmm. We know almost nothing about our cousins. You know, mm-hmm. we've spent time with them periodically growing up, but the difference between those family dynamics and those sibling dynamics is just wild. Do you think, so is your mother from the North? Where's her family mm-hmm. from? Yeah, New York. Okay. Ohio do you th- and the New York. Yeah. Do you think that's a difference between the South and the North? Because yes. your father's family comes... Muff, now, was your grandfather from the South? Your Muff was from the South. Is her, was I think your grand- grandfather I think he was as from well? Texas. And wasn't Muff from Arkansas? Yes, that's correct. So do you think it's like the Southern sweetness and about appearances? Yeah, the genteel. Versus the, the Northerner, like... You can be more reserved, and you, everything doesn't have to be I, about sweetness and light and appearance. I, I think that it's geographical area. I think that it's class, and I think that it's gender. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that... Okay, so geographical, we've touched on class. So what are the differences in the classes? My uh, Our grandfather made more money. They, they did pretty well growing up. Paternal or maternal? Paternal. 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 Okay. I'm sorry, much maternal, maternal grandfather. So my, your mother's my, family yes. was more off financially than your yes. father's family. Okay. Yes, and our uncle, you know, had a brief stint 
not even briefly, he, you know, he, he did Wall Street, he was, you know, Masters of the Universe, idolized Donald Trump back when Donald Trump actually, you know, wasn't quite as much of a freak show. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that it was very easy. It was sort of like our uncle had money and so he didn't need family to mm-hmm. help mm-hmm. bolster him. Whereas I think that dad's family, everyone is closer in terms of socioeconomic Okay. level which is some like middle class mm-hmm. would you say middle class okay yeah. working class as opposed to blue collar versus white collar would you divide it that way no i i would say that uh dad's family is middle to upper middle class mm-hmm. kind of along that spectrum and totally run the gamut from mm-hmm. blue collar to white collar because your father's definitely like upper mm-hmm. like uh, at least upper middle <laughs> Because he's a professor, right. and so he is, <coughs> he has a doctorate, he's highly educated, they live a comfortable lifestyle, they get to travel, so he's not... And I would say that one of Dad's siblings, okay. it's the same situation okay. for their family, but then the other two are, you know, it, it's a little bit more, it's not quite as money. But closer to, closer to middle. Yeah. Yeah, so not, you know, we're not talking like struggling day to day, we're talking about people who have a certain amount of comfort level and stuff like that. Okay, so... Class differences and what gender? So what was it, what did you mean by there being gender differences, or that that creating a, a difference in how people got along? I, I it, may, it may be tied into regional differences as well, but I think that there's a sense in Dad's family of being kind of the the beloved patriarch and family comes together and it's, it's the familial obligation is so powerful mm-hmm. and they grew up with it with that background from you know both sides their mom's side their dad's side they were all about family and so they had this huge extended family and i I think that it was this culture where family came above everything and i think that in my mom's slightly smaller family masculinity was still primary Mm -hmm. but there wasn't quite that emphasis on like the patriarchal head of the family so in your father's family from the south had a, it was big on family, mm-hmm. and there was a the big distinction between the, the male role and the female role and the expectations therein. Mm-hmm. And from your mother's side of the family, which was Ohio to New York, uh, even though there was a patriarch, it was much more relaxed in the expectations of the roles between the genders. Is that correct? I'll give you that. And that's something you've spoken about, Steve, because in your situation in South, your mother, your maternal grandmother you said clearly preferred the males in the family because yes. it was an agrarian situation so the, the boys were more valuable because they can contribute more to the farm and the family than the girls and so his mother was not valued as highly as the males correct and even your grandmother you said clearly favored you over when, your sister when Bo was born and we went down to Texas and brought him she was in a nursing home, and she knew the girls, but when we rolled Bo into the room, she, I mean, she was clamoring to get and up he, out of that bed. And he was the she third, was so, so she had two more grand, mm-hmm. two children, grandchildren previous to his great-grandchildren. Right. right. So he but, was the third, not the first. So, uh, but when he, we rolled him into the room, she just, it, I mean, she completely fell over herself trying to fawn over this, this grandson, and th- it was subtle, but it was present. Even in her kids, her three kids, her son, he hung the moon. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know that how how far back this goes or how I, I only got into it a little bit, but we're also talking about a situation where Granddad got into a car accident, while, where my aunt and my uncle were in the car, and my mother would come home from school, drove tractor, worked the farm. She was as much or contributed as much. Or more than my uncle did, mm-hmm. being the oldest, she got in there and then she helped raise the other kids, which ages spread out. But even with all in the face of that, grandmother always deferred toward her one boy and mm-hmm. her grandsons got this loud vocal adoration. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I never thought much about it because when I was a kid, it, she was that way with me. I didn't realize there was anything about it. I just thought, you know, she really loved her grandkids. You did notice the disparity between how she treated you. So did she treat your sister differently than you? Yeah, I never noticed that she didn't. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm just saying I never noticed that okay. she didn't. But, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's like, Granny, will you make me a peanut butter jelly sandwich? <laughs> and she would get up, and she's like, do you want me to mix the, anything I wanted? You know, mix the peanut butter and the jelly now, together. Now, did she do that with your sister, though, too? I but you don't know that she I asked. I don't know that she did or okay. didn't. I, I, I don't remember that part. But I always remember that, you know, grandmother definitely going to see her. Whatever I wanted, I could get away with murder at her house probably <laughs> if I wanted to. But sometimes that's just the, the but there, situation you know, with grandparents. But I thought that was just grandparents spoil grandkids. Right, right. It wasn't until I was much older and I got to see her from an adult perspective and like how she reacted to oh. the grandsons over the granddaughters. that I could see there was something. Yeah. And I don't know that that affected them very much. They were very young, so I don't know if they noticed. Well, let's hope that they didn't, because kids pick up on that stuff after a while. So the the other thing I want to talk about, so Lisa, essentially, you and I both kind of fell into middle child positions, Mm -hmm. and there's this this stereotype about middle children having a harder time because the older children get the attention because they paved the way. And in fact, I was looking up some statistics on birth order and there's been a lot of studies into whether or not birth order plays a role in your success rate or how it impacts you. I think that a lot of the stuff that has been claimed has been disproven and that a lot of it's a myth. For instance, one of the things that was claimed is that the oldest child tends to have the higher IQ. Part of it is is chalked up to the fact that when you're the first child, you're also the only child, so you get a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. And so your parents can do stuff with you that they didn't do, that they don't do. Like, the more kids you have, the less yes. you do. And that's unfortunately kind of true. For instance, I have a very thorough scrapbook for my first. I have a th- thorough scrapbook for my second. I have practically nothing for my third. <laughs> And it doesn't mean I love him any less, but when you have three kids, it's a completely different dynamic. And so I don't know that it's inherent in the way you're born, but it can be in the way your parents handle you, especially like with the third. They talk about the baby. Sometimes that can mean like the parents will baby you because they know you're the last, so they cut you slack. Sometimes it's, I've already been this a couple times, through this a couple times before. I've learned stuff, so whatever. You can, I know that it's not going to, I'm not going to ruin you by letting you do stuff. I remember with my oldest, I was afraid any mistake I made was going to ruin him for life. And with my second, I realized, okay, I can make some mistakes and she'll still recover. With my third, I was like, I can make a lot of mistakes and he'll still be fine. He'll bounce. <laughs> At least I hope so. So with, with, each adi- with each additional kid, there is an unavoidable division of time yes. that has to happen. However, you may realize a lot of things are not so as important. Or three, you get freaking tired. 
Yeah, it's all of those things actually. You can be tired, you can view parenting differently because you've learned through experience. Or it can just be that you just don't have enough time to devote. But it also depends on how you space them out. So if you have them larger apart, you know, then when you have older kids who are more independent, you can still spend time paying attention to the, the younger ones. Whereas if you have them back to back to back, it's a little harder because you've got a bunch of young ones all at the same time. But what I've seen is so there's this, this myth surrounding middle children about like that they have a harder time, they've got lower self-esteem, so the older children kind of pave the way and they're the stars and the babies are the babies and they get babied and they get whatever they want and they're the darlings and the middle kids have trouble getting attention and they have trouble shining and they're kind of upset and, and, and resentful. And, and I looked into this to see if it was true because you and I became middle children. Right. so. I had been the baby, and you had been the elder child, but they, with the blended family, I became a middle child, as did you. And so that kind of changes it, because we, we weren't always in that role. Right. But I, what was interesting about it is, is the stuff that I was looking at was saying that middle children aren't always resentful. They actually become better at entertaining themselves, and that it can actually make you a better problem solver and more resourceful, and that it's not... The, it's not this curse. It's not going to doom you like a lot of people. And I, because I have two boys with a girl sandwich in the middle, I kind of always thought, well, the fact that she's the only girl makes her special. So I hope that that makes her the exception, which means she's going to escape middle child syndrome simply on that alone. But as I looked into it, it found out that it, as with anything, it really comes down to just how you raise your kids. So did you ever feel like you were kind of shoved in the middle and overlooked or that you were overshot? Because we've already agreed Lindsay's the darling. Everyone <laughs> well, loves Lindsay. She's the favorite. So it's like she had two different experiences depending on which parents that we were with. So with yes. our mom and stepdad, I was the older child, Lindsay was the younger one, but we were so close in age that, you know, in some ways, you know, I would fight for something, you know, or, you know, I would beg and beg and beg for a CD player. I got earrings. Your ears, yes. pierced. Yeah. <laughs> Sixth grade was a really bad year for equity. <laughs> so, you know, I begged to get my ears pierced. I, be I begged for so long to get my ears pierced, yeah. and finally mom okayed it, and then Lindsay got to get hers done at the same time that I got mine done. Even though she was 22 months younger than you. 21 months younger. 21. Yep. I'm sorry, 20. You know, I actually thought it was 22 as well, so I've learned something. Yeah, I thought you said 22 <laughs> earlier. So it's because you looked younger. February, March, April, May. I don't know what that means. <laughs> If you were born in February, yes. March, April, yes. May, end of May, three months. Okay. So that means we're 21 months apart. <laughs> Moving on. 20, <laughs> 24. Two. Yeah. 24 minus 3 is 21. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. 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 So anyway, you know, I, I think that in some respects, you know, I, I was the oldest in that, I, you know, I had to fight for certain things, and I think Lynn's had an easier time in certain ways, but Lindsay was also an easier going child, and yeah. so it was just easier all around for her, whereas I know I was... Bitch. <laughs> I was a raging bitch. No, I'll put it freely in a minute. But no, I was calling Lindsay the oh. bitch because she was so <laughs> no. fucking easy. She made the rest of us look bad. We were normal. She's the, she's the asshole because <laughs> she's so good. She made the rest of us look bad by comparison. Fuck you, Lindsay. Sorry. <laughs> but, but then we would come to see you guys, and it was I very much felt like the middle child, and also it was very weird. I don't I don't know if it's because you guys have very similar senses of humor, because you're both Pisces, mm. but you two connect in a way that I don't connect with either of yeah. you, and mm -hmm. so there are times when it feels as if 
You're on the outs? Yes, and that's most of the time okay because I am introverted and I've figured mm -hmm. out how to entertain myself and frankly sometimes I just want to be alone. Yeah. But it, it is very interesting, you know, your point about it, it, felt, it felt kind of like you were the one who had to fight the hard battles and Lindsay was the baby and kind of like the peacemaker and so everything yeah. went smoothly and I just kind of felt like, you know, how do I get attention? Where do I fit? What's my place? Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I know that's something that has come up before. Years ago, we even had a conversation where you talked about the fact that it was kind of hard for you because Lindsay and I did kind of click, and you and I, which was weird. Like, yeah, that's not normal. Because you're, you're five years, six years younger than me, and so right. to have that gap, I mean, I met you when you were nine, and I was 15. Right, like, we did not have that much in common. No, but we had kind of bizarre senses of humor right. and you you were willing to do whatever stupid shit to entertain <laughs> me and I'm like I can I'm on board for this dance monkey <laughs> show me your prop <laughs> right she'll dress up in a, a sheer a genie costume oh. and dance to Prince's cream <laughs> I'm all for this it's like I'm favorite so we're gonna reenact that yes <laughs> I'm gonna buy that and I'm, that's your Christmas. Or maybe someone will invent like a pensive, like in uh, Harry Potter, and we can actually get that image out of your uh, head. Because I can't picture it, and I'm so sad. It was, okay, so it was sheer red harem mm -hmm. pants with yeah. gold, with gold um, like sequenced around. elastic yes. band around the waist and the pants, or the ankles. the ankles. And there was some sort of top that went with it that was also sheer, but then I think there was undergarments as well. Mm-hmm. But it was very clear. I think it was probably a dance costume, honestly. I think somebody had probably done some sort of dance costume, and your dad found it at a garage sale. Nutcracker. And he and he bought it for me, which, honestly, in retrospect, is a little bizarre. But I'm sure he thought it, he always, I would have fun with it and that it would be like a fun yeah, like Halloween costume. costume. But, again, it's fucking... Ohio and it's 30 uh, degrees on right. Halloween so the idea of wearing a sheer mm -hmm. two-piece with costume. thermal underwear underneath right <laughs> it was very pretty and I actually liked it but I never found a use for it other than to have Lindsay wear it right and perform it <laughs> it's interesting though that you I didn't realize that I had talked to you about feeling on the out sometimes because I know I've talked about it with Lindsay because mm. she and I are fundamentally so close living together yeah. But I, I like now that as adults, even though we have different relationships and different personalities, we've been able to become friends and siblings in a way that we're not expected to all have the same interests mm -hmm. or have the same personality mm -hmm. style. Or the we, same we, types of interactions. Yeah, mm -hmm. we make it work. And I, I understand you don't love the phone and texting, so I will have... Phone conversation. Lindsay's one of the few people I will talk to on the phone with. I don't. And you, I was gonna say you didn't like the phone, but I feel like I kind of beat yeah. you down and wore you well, down. Yes. I'm like, well, I'm driving. So. Right. So that's fine. And, and so she, uh, she's one of the few people I can mm -hmm. talk comfortably to on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I'll text her. My assumption is always whatever I tell to her, right. she will tell to you. Right. So I don't feel like I need to send you stuff directly. Although sometimes I'll tag you both. Yeah. Well, and sometimes Lens will loop me in on the conversation when you guys are talking. Right. I appreciate that. It's like I, I get just enough, but I don't like being on the phone that much. I don't yeah. like texting that often, but just because we're not texting doesn't mean that I love you any less. Right. It just means that I'm absorbing passively, whereas Lindsay is absorbing actively. And I think that's part of becoming an adult, is you understand that different people have different personalities, and you have to, 
each relationship is individual. So mm-hmm. I don't feel like my relationship with you is worse because we don't talk as much. Like I said, I understand that our per- my and Lindsay's personalities are different, so we interact differently. And like I said before, I assume any information I'm giving, any right. important information I'm giving her, I assume is being transferred to you. So I still feel like I'm keeping you in the loop. So I don't feel like you're being left out because my assumption is she's telling you because I know you don't want to be on the phone. I know you don't want to be texting. Right. So my, I'm hoping that mm-hmm. by giving Lindsay the information, you're still getting it. So I yes. still feel like you're glued yes, in. that totally works. And even when yeah. we're hanging out and, you know, when you guys kind of get together in your dynamic duo and you guys start performing off the cuff. <laughs> we do that? No. <laughs> you guys totally do that. And it's the fun, it's the most entertaining thing for me to be just sort of sitting there watching, you know, your audience of one or when, you know, when Steve's there. Now who's you know, the monkeys dancing? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Love me. together since you were 9 and 15. <laughs> <laughs> but largely that was because I would pinch her and she would laugh hysterically. Yeah. Because <laughs> pain is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. had, you, had you ever had you ever started crying, I would have stopped immediately and apologized. And <laughs> like I would get to my point of like I've had enough. Like when the Oompa Loompa. Yes, when you pulled that hoodie right. down closed around your face and right. it was just like you just curled up and you quit responding. And I'm like, oh shit, we've gone uh-huh. somewhere. We've crossed a line. Yeah. She's abort, done. Abort. <laughs> She's done. And I think I even remember leaning over and looking at you like, what's what's going on? Yeah. Because she had never been like that before. And there were a couple times when she just lost it. I had never seen Lindsay upset and so when it happened I remember like really <laughs> and being like what's happening <laughs> I'm so confused we broke right her <laughs> yes <laughs> what's happening I'm so afraid <laughs> and we're proof that kids are resilient yes let's get through fine but like I, as I think about it some of my fondest memories are of my times with mm-hmm. my blended family mm-hmm. and with you guys as my siblings you know I think about our trip to France and <laughs> Uh, excuse me, do you like Michael Jackson? <laughs> the best part about that was Amanda had just been, like, stretching out her stomach muscles. She was, like, pushing out her stomach so she, like, looked pregnant, and she was totally trying to freak her mom out. And just after she finished doing that, this random Frenchman walks up and asks if she likes Michael Jackson totally hitting on her. It was like he had a thing for pregnant women Maybe. or something. I thought it was directed to all of us, because we were walking down the street, and he was he was kind of hanging out by his car, wasn't he? Well, he was like chilling by his car, and we walked by, and he asked that, and it was so strange because I, I thought it was directed at you. Yeah, I, I did too. I, 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 I was in the background laughing. laughing. All yeah. I know, all I know, it was like it was. Uh, well, what was funny about that is I was seventeen and I had braces on, and I was told that because I had a boyfriend at the time who was afraid that I was going to go to France and some French guy was going to fall for me. <laughs> I remember your dad being like, "No, that's right. Braces aren't very common in France, so they're probably not going to find that." <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Uh, and so when this guy was talking to me, I'm like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, Mike, are you fucking kidding me? Michael Jackson? I'm like, it's 1991. I think it was 1991 at yeah. the time. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, I was so beyond. Yeah. Thriller was amazing. But what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I have so beyond Michael Jackson at that point. It was just. Living the now. It was so strange. And even though we've spent so much of our lives separately, like, we still have so many funny mm-hmm great memories together like and in jokes like Lisa oh yes 
And uh, it was it was so Time amazing. Life. I felt like for us to go see Depeche Mode together last yes. year. Yes, that was life changing. Yeah, that, that was just so brought it fun. full circle. It really did. So now we can be done. Yeah, bye. <laughs> it's bye. <laughs> it was really nice knowing all of you. Was later, a, it was amazing. Yeah. It was good time. And now we're done. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. came for the podcast. And that's all right. Right. So, and we've been talking for, what, two hours at this point? An hour and 45 minutes. Okay. Not. Well, well, they're still we're editing. definitely going to be cutting some out. Yeah. Probably yeah. some of the stuff shouldn't be in yeah. there. So. Yeah. So I guess that's a good point to wrap it up unless you guys right. want more. So thank you so much for talking. Thanks thank for you us. and your asshole brain for having <laughs> us. Uh, You're guess, our favorite asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna be an asshole, at least I want to be the best yeah. one. Yeah, you're the prettiest one. I know. And normally I have Stephanie to help me say this, but she's not here, so Should I'll do it all myself. No, you let you you intro it and let them finish it. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's not a competition. We're all terrible. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> we are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply. Two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. We are not expressing expert opinions, and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat with them online. Take care. My Asshole Brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolles, produced by Stephen Beasley, and presented by Greasley Enterprises. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.